Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. The scripture today is Jonah 3, 1-5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Thanks, Megan. Let me pray for us as uh, we open the word this morning. Uh, So God, as we open your word this morning, can you breathe life on the words that your people have read over and over again through the years before we even got here? Spirit of the living God, you speak to us today. Help us be able to sense every good thing that you have for us, every prompting and every nudge. We wait for you, Lord, as we read your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If uh, you want to turn to the story that uh, we're going to be in today, you can turn in your Bible to Jonah chapter 3. That is the text that Megan read for us this morning. We've been in a series called Turn, and this series has been all about how Christians right now are historically and collectively turning our hearts towards the good news of Easter. That Jesus Christ has lived, he has died, and he has risen. And to fully grasp that good news, we need to spend a season recognizing the ways that our hearts have intentionally or unintentionally turned from God. And Christians have done this through a season of repentance. And for us to do this in this series, we have entered a season of repentance through going through a story that is about repentance. We've been turned to the story of Jonah. And in the beginning of the third chapter of Jonah, you hear this phrase that is repeated. That's from the beginning of the book. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which if you haven't been with us or you haven't read the book of Jonah before, you may wonder what happened the first time that God had to come to Jonah again. And I guess to put it in modern terms for you, Uh, Jonah ghosted God, okay? Jonah saw the caller ID, and he did exactly what you did to someone this week. He declined the call. Jonah put God on do not disturb and said, I'm good. I'm going to move on with my life. And not only does Jonah not pay attention and ignore God, but he actually does the opposite to God. Someone coming to church this morning knows what this feeling is like. For God to tell you to do one thing, and you do the complete opposite of it. Even the writer of Jonah wants this emphasis. No, 
God comes to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to a city that everyone has heard of. And Jonah goes to a city that no one has heard of. God goes to Jonah and he says, I want you to travel by land to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'm going to travel by boat to the city of Joppa. He says, I want you to rise. I want you to go. And Jonah actually goes down to Joppa. Jonah does the opposite of what God asks. And then other people get in trouble because Jonah is starting trouble. Jonah gets on a boat. He's trying to get away from the God who is everywhere. And in the midst of God sending wind and a storm, the people are like, what is going on? Someone's done something wrong. They find out it's Jonah and they're like, bro, you got to go. You have to get off this boat. So he's voted off the island and he is thrown into the sea. And then Matt last week covered how Jonah is saved from the jaws of death. That Jonah is swallowed by this sea creature, but sustained by God. And if that's not a word for some of us that come to church this morning, I do not know what good news looks like. Did you know you can be swallowed by life and still sustained by God? I don't know how you may be swallowed this morning. I don't know if you have a diagnosis that feels like it has swallowed your life. I don't know if one of the kids has done something that has swallowed your entire family's life. I don't know if you feel swallowed by mental health this morning or a dark situation. But the good news of God that Jonah brings is that God can sustain you even when you are swallowed by life. God can help you keep going. And God helps Jonah keep going. As my childhood doctor would say, for those of you who really don't like the word throw up, Jonah is forcefully and without warning ejected with other contents from the sea creature. God delivers Jonah. And once again, we're reminded, even when you look at Jonah's actions and you think, you know, what is Jonah going to do this time? This story was never about Jonah in the first place. It was about God. A God who actually has a heart for people who do not have a heart for the things of God. This God has a heart for Jonah who could care less about the mission of God. And this God actually has a heart for a city, a city called Nineveh. And Nineveh does not have any of the desires of God's people. And this is why Jonah hears from God again. And God says, Jonah, I want you to get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to you the message that I tell you. And this in chapter three, is the turning point of the story. This is what you expect in the Bible to say, and God showed up. Maybe the best way to say this in the language of how the writer kind of portrays it is uh, if you're a movie watcher, okay, if you've ever heard the 20th Century Fox introduction to a movie, you're like, ooh, this is gonna be good, all right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna help you out a little bit, okay. Guys in the booth, we're ready with the sound. We feel good? 
Ray feels good. All right. This is how Jonah 3 is set up for you to feel like it's about to happen. Okay. feel in your soul this morning yeah we can clap for a service we can clap yeah Jonah sent to Nineveh God says go and tell him what I've done I have saved you and I have touched your life and your heart Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and the playback music is sounding good and when Jonah gives the speech it doesn't sound like this it sounds a little bit more Maybe like this. You can still clap. <laughs> To put it plainly, Jonah shows up half-hearted. I want you to hear the sermon that Jonah gave. I've given some bad sermons, okay? You've been recipients of it, but you have never received a sermon like this, starting in verse 4. So Jonah began a day's journey into the city, and here's what he proclaimed. Eight words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be over. In the original language, this isn't even eight words. This is five words. This is all Jonah says to the city of Nineveh. Where is the word God even in this sermon? Where is the love? Where's the testimony that God has saved Jonah? What's even God? There's not even the word repentance in this sermon. And in this most anticlimactic moment, it's a sober reminder that your heart can be saved by God and still not have a heart for those who don't know about the heart of God. Why would Jonah still feel this way after everything he encountered? He gives five words to the city of Nineveh after God has saved him. One of the things we've highlighted in this series multiple times is that when it came to the city of Nineveh, the Bible always describes Nineveh as this great city. But historically, we've actually known that Nineveh is a city of not so great things. They were brutal people. They were rough. Okay, uh, The prophet Nahum actually describes it like that. He taunts the city of Nineveh. Here's how he describes it. He says, woe to the city of Nineveh. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of the whips, the clatter of their wheels, the galloping of horses, and the jolting of chariots, charging cavalries, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslave nations by her prostitution and people by their witchcraft. Whew. 
That's how Nahum describes Nineveh. Maybe let me put it to you in modern terms. If you were in a social circle and someone brought up Nineveh, you would say, oh, oh yeah, I wouldn't let my kids go to that school district either. Oh yeah, I wouldn't want to live in that area of town whatsoever. And what's shocking is God tells Jonah not to run away from that city. But he says, I want you in and among, and I want you to have compassion for a city that's honestly a threat to you. Because God's heart beats for cities and areas like that. You know, I, uh, I've been doing some thinking about uh, just this area that we live in. Uh, I, I grew up in this area. Uh, you probably haven't heard of the town that I grew up in. Uh, it's a town far away, Georgetown. And um, uh, the town that I grew up in, compared to the town I've come back to after 10 years, are vastly, vastly different. When I got back, there was this running joke that I thought was funny, and then it was actually true, uh, is that uh, people would say, you know, Georgetown people, uh, they don't like to go anywhere other than Georgetown. Like, if you want to ask a Georgetown person to go eat in Austin, you might as well ask them to go drive to Canada because they don't want to leave Georgetown. And then when I got back here, and I actually experienced it, I was like, my goodness, the traffic is awful here. It really is like going to Canada just to move to downtown Austin. This area is geographically just changing. And it's culturally changing as well. You know, one of the things that is kind of common to be seen with Jesus followers is that when a region starts to move in a direction culturally that is away from the values of God, there is sometimes a desire to either escape, remove, or pad ourselves from the rest of the world. And I get kind of that instinct. Because a lot of times when a city grows and the values become different, they usually become in opposition to the values of Christianity. But one thing we have to be honest with this passage is that God tells Jonah not to be concerned or run away from a city that's threatening to him. But God actually calls him to be in that city. You know, it's interesting that uh, when you see this phrase, now Nineveh was a very large city. When you look at this term, large city, it's actually a numerical term. It's a number implying there's a ton of people that are in this area. And it's as if God is saying, I want you to go to Nineveh because I care about people and I care about where there's a lot of people in one space. And this may be a word for us this morning. In a growing area that is culturally becoming different than probably what a lot of us desire, if we believe the greatest need is for God to reconcile people to Him. And God cares about that. We should care 
about an area where there's a ton of people who need reconciliation with God. As a church, we should be asking ourselves, if Round Rock Church of Christ closed tomorrow, who would hurt? How would the city ache? Even in Revelation, when heaven is coming down to earth, when John gives you that imagery, it is literally in the form of a city. God comes down. Jonah's approach to the city is simple. The city is wicked and it needs to be punished. God's approach to the city is simple as well. This city needs to be changed. And God wants Jonah's help to deliver it. Every believer in a growing city has to ask, which mentality am I going to approach the city with? And when we find ourselves in a place where we're like, you know, the city's just kind of wicked, they need to be punished, we need to hear over and over again, Jonah 3, 5. That Jonah gives five words to the city, and then the text literally describes it like this. In verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Not Jonah. They believed God. A fast was proclaimed. All of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth, and they repented. Jonah shows up half-hearted. Jonah speaks half-hearted. And God still changes hearts. And God says, I'll do you one better. I'm not going to just change a couple of individuals. I'm going to keep going. In verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king, the political power of the day, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, the way of repentance, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people, animals, hearts or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and the animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. I love this part of the path. Can you imagine the guy that had to put sackcloth on a sheep? Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, I need you to take what held these potatoes Okay, I need you to put a couple holes in them. I need you to put it on that sheep. Why? The Lord needs it, okay? <laughs> the grace and mercy of God is all through this passage because God keeps working through a half-hearted prophet to bring people to Him. It's as if the Bible is saying, when Jonah shows up, God works through Jonah, not just for people, but also for creation. Small note with the text. I'm not saying a big deal, but it is noted. Policy actually changes in the kingdom because Jonah shows up and just speaks truth, just represents the presence of God through a half-hearted person. I don't know about you, but most weeks when I come to church, I feel like I'm a half-hearted person when I'm serving God. And I guess I want to just finish today with three reminders for us. For those of us who come and live in this city who sometimes we feel half-hearted about the things of God. What are three things that we just need to remember when we don't want to do 
what God wants us to do. We turn to God, and we turn in three ways. First of all is this, turning is relying. When we talk about repentance, we're not just talking about turning away from sin, but we're also talking about turning towards reliance upon God. You know, one of the main things that stares you in this story is that it's undeniable. It's God's work happening through Jonah. Jonah doesn't get the job done by himself. The work of repentance happens through God, not through Jonah. In a lot of ways, Jonah just comes in presence and truth, but God's the one that brings repentance. We see this echoed in the Bible all the time. You look at verses like 2 Timothy 2.25, you know, there is literally this encouragement that says, you know, hey, when it comes to opposition, and gently instruct because the hope is that God will grant repentance. We do not have to be perfect people. We do not have to walk around being like, we got all the truth. All we need to do is we need to point to the one who called himself truth and lived it out perfectly. Our part is presence and trust. God's part is conviction and revelation. You know, one thing that's worth mentioning with this passage, Nineveh at this time, historically, we think actually went through a massive famine. The people would have been tremendously just beat down and hungry. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, do not discredit that there is a hunger for people who don't know God. And sometimes that hunger and your presence is all they need together. You know, I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago who finally shared his faith with a coworker. And one of the first things his coworker said to him when he finally said, This is my faith, is he said, You know, I was starting to think you were never going to bring up God. Sometimes the world has a hunger and they need to meet someone who's just living out presence and truth. With God. The second is this turning to God means trusting. I want you to notice in verse 3, it says that the journey for Jonah was three days long. Most people would say Jonah had to walk somewhere around 500 miles to get to Nineveh. And remember, Jonah does not want to do what God wants him to do. You got to trust God when trusting God feels repetitive, when it feels boring, when it feels inconvenient. Jonah doesn't want to do this, and he walks for 500 miles thinking about how he doesn't want to do this. What do you do when you don't desire to do what God wants you to do? You keep walking. You keep walking. So your faith feels very stale right now. You still set the alarm in the morning and you pray to start the day. The marriage goes through another miscommunication. What do you do? You start over. You invest again. You sacrifice. When it feels like that coworker who doesn't know God takes way more in conversation than they give, what do we do? We keep giving. We wait on God. 
when we don't want to serve. When we go to the children's ministry and we're like, man, if I got to see that kid one more time, I'm just going to, I'm going to lose it. What we do when we don't want to serve, we keep serving. Why? Because God works through half-hearted work. And oftentimes, God kindles the hearts of other people in the midst of it. If I had to guess, some of you are sitting in church this morning because there was someone in your life who kept doing the things of God even when they got boring or inconvenient or dry. You know, in, in a moment, we're, we're going to take communion. And we're going to take of the body, the blood of Jesus. And then we're going to sing for a while. And in that time of saying, there's going to be several people who are actually in the back to receive for prayer. And I guess I kind of want to encourage that we should continue to lean into prayer no matter where we feel like we are in life. There's going to be people in the back that you can just go with and you can just pray. And I think one of the questions sometimes we ask is like, do I really need to? Like, I think I'm pretty good just sitting where I am and staying where I am. And one of the reasons like we should have people pray over us is sometimes we don't know what we need to pray for. We need to hear the words of other people in our lives. If you're feeling dry in your faith today, it's time to go to the back and have someone pray over you. Just to ask, I just need to keep walking. And I'm not feeling very motivated to keep walking. And finally, the last is this. Turn to God means going. You know, I, uh, I spent the summers at a really small church, 12 members. Uh, I remember sitting on the front row and my legs couldn't even, my feet couldn't even touch the bottom. They'd just hang on the pews. And I remember I'd hear sermon after sermon after sermon. There's some outlandish things that I heard in those sermons of that 12-person church. One of the things I can't get out of my mind is, you know, this older preacher, he'd get up there, he'd breathe heavy. I don't know why he breathed like deep, but he just did. He breathed, I was like, oh boy, get ready. And he'd be like, you can't spell the gospel without go. Okay. Like I, I heard that over and over again. I think now I'm kind of getting at what he was saying. To receive the message of God, to say yes to the gospel, is to be a person who goes. Out of all people in the story, it's actually the king who shows us what it means to depend and go with God. In Jonah 3.9, the king literally says this, Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from His anger so we'll not perish. Who knows? That's a beautiful way of faithfulness. Who knows what God will do when we go? From the beginning pages of Scripture, Anyone who said, yes, God, I worship you. This God's going to send you. He's going to say go. This is an echo of it. You know, back in Genesis, the very beginning pages, he comes to a guy named Abraham. And he's like, look, Abraham, all right, here's what you need. You need to go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I'll show you. What's it look like? I'll show you later. Where am I going? I'll tell you later. And you will be a blessing for all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This God wants you to go. And you don't, you're not going to know where you're going or what you're doing sometimes. In other words, God is saying, you need to leave what's familiar. 
You need to leave all the people that you feel extremely comfortable around. And at some point, you got to go and not rely on the things that you've always relied on. This was true for Abraham, but this was also very true for any follower of Jesus. Jesus, before he ascended back, he said, hey, I want you to go make disciples. It's a calling of every person of God. You know, sometimes we hear this and we think, oh, you know, I may need to leave geographically. And maybe that may be the case. But I think a lot of times what this really amounts to is are we willing to leave what is emotionally and psychologically very comfortable to us? Will I talk to someone new at church or will I just keep talking to the people I feel extremely comfortable with? Will I give up some things financially for someone else to have something or can I not give up on my items that I splurge on? Will I do something new or will I stand up for someone even if it may cause family tension in my life or am I just going to let it be? You know, we, we come after Jonah. He's dragging his feet. But at least Jonah went. Like when I sat with this text this week, I'm like, I'm not sure I would have went. The reason I don't go is the same reason Jonah doesn't go. For Jonah to go to Nineveh, it means the possibility of denial, danger, and death. When I say no to God's go, it's usually because I'm fearful of being rejected. It's dangerous to me or my reputation. And it may bring me loss in my life. And that's the risk God wants us to take. You know, when I sat this week and I thought about when's the times that I've said no to God and why did I say no to God? It was because I was stuck on the potential repercussions with people instead of the potential response of God. This is the soul work we have to do with God. Are we going to focus on the potential repercussions of other people? Or are we going to actually lean into, who knows? Who knows what God may actually do? You know, the word repentance in the Bible, when Jesus actually uses it in the very beginning, that word means turn. It means to change mind, to go a different direction. But also, the word is more holistic as well. That word is actually metanoia. And metanoia, if you break down this word, it also means above mind. To repent is to have your mind on things above. In essence, it is a mindset that's no longer about self-preserving. It's a mindset no longer about self-interest, but it's asking what is the mind of God and how should I go about it? And metanoia is very different than paranoia. They're actually the opposite. One of them says, I'm going to go with God because who knows what may happen. I'm just going to do it. Paranoia says, I don't know because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Paranoia says, no matter what, this is, it's going to be no use. Metanoia says, I'm going to do it because I know God's going to use it somehow, some way. Metanoia is saying, what does God 
desire for me to do in this situation. Paranoia says, what do I need to do in this situation to protect me? As one Christian writer said is, he said it like this, paranoia is when our inner doors of warmth and empathy and trust spontaneously slam whenever we perceive a threat. But metanoia, the bigger heart, never closes its doors. You know why you can go even if you don't know the outcome? You can go because God's on the other side. We see it over and over again. God is on the other side when we risk and we take chance. It's seen even in the text. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He turned. That word relented, turned. He did not bring on them what He had planned. Nineveh relied that God would respond to humanity. Are you trusting that God will respond to you if you go? You know, sometimes I feel like preachers ask questions that you're like, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Like, you ever have a preacher just be like, are you trusting God? And you're like, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, no, no. You're like, I, I don't know how to answer that. Maybe let me ask this question in just a very clear way for you this morning. Are you taking risk with your life right now? Because you trust that God is going to be on the other side of that risk. Are you living life right now that every day you wake up, God wants to work through you and bring other people to him through you? Are the doors of your heart shut to new possibilities? Or are they open to God's work? People of Nineveh, they knew God through Jonah's actions, no matter how half-hearted they were. We know God's work through a man named Jesus who was willing to trust God was on the other side. Jonah's name, it literally means dove. It means the beloved one that was given. Nineveh knew God because Jonah was willing to go over and give himself. We know God because Jesus was willing to come to earth and reveal God to us. He crossed the threshold between death and life. He crossed social and religious and political divides so you could have no doubt of who he was for. And when the time came for Jesus to give himself on the cross, he died, he laid in a tomb because he trusted that God would bring resurrection on the other side. He did it so you could know you can do it too. The question is just, will you? And I think this week you're going to have the chance to answer that question because the word of the Lord comes the second and the third and the fourth the fifth time. Let me pray for us and then we'll receive communion together. Uh, so God, we, uh, we turn to you in this season. Uh, Spirit, I pray, can you, can you poke at our hearts? 
in the ways maybe that we've turned away from you. Lord, can you help reveal to us the ways that we are in bondage right now, that you have freed us by the blood of your son? God, can you help us? Can you heal us? Can you empower us to be people that turn to you and are dependent on you? So Jesus, we worship you now. And as we take your body and your blood, when we eat this, we are declaring to you, we trust you. And that you'll be on the other side of every risk in life. And even on the other side of death. Pray this in your name. Amen. Come forward this morning or in the back and receive communion and then receive prayer as well. Come. Hide me now under your